This coming week, the government will unveil its long-awaited green paper on how we as a country value, nurture and protect our children. With child abuse rates in New Zealand some of the worst in the OECD, the green paper is designed to reignite a national discussion and come up with some new ideas. In this insight, Andrew McRae talks to those searching for solutions. The lawyer for the father of a seven-month-old baby who died in Christchurch Hospital after being violently shaken says his client Chris and crew Kahui died more than three months ago from injuries including brain damage and broken ribs. The police still need to speak due in court today. Nia was admitted to hospital with bleeding on the brain after what the police said was a recent period of sustained abuse. say their investigation into the death of a six-month-old baby in Narua Wahia is still focused on obtaining more forensic medical evidence to decide... Some of the more high-profile abuse cases in recent years. And while tragic, they're only the tip of the iceberg. In the last financial year, just over 21,000 instances of abuse against children were dealt with by child, youth and family, from just over 125,000 initial notifications. Child abuse is broken down into four categories, emotional, physical, sexual abuse and neglect. The recently appointed Chief Social Worker for Child, Youth and Family, Paul Nixon, says the agency's become very good at responding promptly when concerns are raised. If you look at the statistics over the last five years, for example, what you see is that the numbers of notifications to uh, child, youth and family have gone up dramatically. They've gone up from around 60,000 a year to 125,000 a year. Um, but despite uh, that huge increase, um, we've become much better at responding quickly to those concerns. And um, where there used to be waiting lists in the past, there are no longer waiting lists. And we are able to get out and see children and assess children very quickly. Anthea Simcock has had 30 years' experience in child protection work and is the chief executive of Child Matters, a charitable trust set up to educate people to help prevent child abuse. She says on average, one child dies as a result of child abuse every five weeks. We know that perhaps approximately a third to a quarter of all New Zealanders have experienced some sort of um, child abuse or sexual abuse or family violence, and that is a conservative estimate from the, the New Zealand research. There's one in four New Zealanders out there walking around who have a background of family violence or child abuse. A million people. A million people in New Zealand not reaching their potential. So that's a cost to the country. But it also means that when we want to talk about it, those people are either having to acknowledge what they've been through when they may not, want to deal with that and scratch old wounds and so that may be something that they say well, God, I just don't want to deal with this the other three quarters may think well it's nothing to do with me, it didn't come into my world so I don't want to know about it and I don't want my world spoilt by this too so we've got a number of reasons why people find it difficult people who have survived child abuse are often really passionate about helping others and we do find that in the helping professions we are over represented by, by child abuse survivors. The newly appointed Children's Commissioner is Dr Russell Wills. He divides his time between that role and his work as a paediatrician for the Hawke's Bay District Health Board in Hastings. We should be clear that we have one of the lowest rates of investment in young children in the OECD. We've got one of the highest rates of poverty among young children in the OECD. And you get the health 
and education and social outcomes you deserve if you fail to invest in small children. The financial cost of the country from child abuse is estimated at $2 billion a year. The National Project Manager for Jigsaw Family Services, Sally Christie, says the challenge facing New Zealand is for people to change their attitudes and beliefs about the well-being of children. She says there still seems to be the view that it's the parents' job alone to raise their children, and what happens in other people's homes is their own business. So for me, it's really important even though it's a very old and potentially cliched phrase, that it takes a village or at least a very extended family to raise a child and that we need to start to really understand what a challenge it is, how if we all embrace it, um, how we really can make a difference in children's lives. Over recent years, child abuse has been a constant in media headlines, prompting the question, is it more prevalent now than in earlier years, or are people more aware and feel more comfortable about coming forward? Dr John Goldsmith is a paediatrician at Waikato Hospital and a member of the Waikato District Health Board's Child Protection Advisory and Support Service. I think it's clear that we're recognising more of it. I don't know that we're completely certain why. Uh, although I suspect a lot of it is due to public awareness. Um, the media are very good at promoting the, the horror stories, perhaps not so much the less um, horrifying stuff, which um, is also um, increasingly evident from the work we're getting through child, youth and family services. I think what probably isn't particularly well recognised in the media is the issue of neglect. The sort of hidden um, abuse, like emotional abuse and neglect, are probably much more prevalent than we um, realise. And sadly, I think we see this in the context of socioeconomic deprivation. And I think the reality is that um, throughout New Zealand there are increasing numbers of families who struggle financially, who don't have the resources to cope with life's stresses, and I think life is more stressful these days, and who also are exposed to what one might say is a number of unfortunate facts of substance abuse, family violence, and educational problems because people don't seem to fit into the educational system we have. So there's a whole lot of things happening that are contributing, I think, to the increasing recognition of child abuse. Tarapu Afina is a Māori social service agency working with people in Poirua. Its general manager, Tahi Tate, believes there's still a level of acceptance in the community of child abuse. He says the voice of children isn't being heard and are being devalued. We've definitely, as a society, um, I think in the main, are horrified by the actions of people. But sometimes people are paralysed or unsure how to act and um, we've got to you know, kind of liberate ourselves as a society on protecting children, saying things, speaking up for children, amplifying you know, their voice, which is really silent. So we have a problem, and admitting it is the first issue, and then knowing um, that the, you can have a number of solutions and feel confident about you know, it's, it's not overwhelming, but is actually within our capability to do something as a society. We also keep really good records 
in New Zealand. We don't fudge them. And um, so in comparatively, um, you know, we, we often look quite negative to other countries. But I do want to say that we, we're one of those few countries that um, says it as it is in regards to um, a lot of reporting on you know, drug use, children abuse, um, you know, a lot of the social trends we report accurately on. And therefore that puts us in, you know, in a different place globally. The Chief Social Worker Paul Nixon agrees that the country's willingness to report information could be part of the reason for our comparatively high child abuse figures. Mr Nixon recently moved to New Zealand from the United Kingdom and has been watching developments here closely. He says better cooperation between child youth and family and the police has resulted in more referrals, particularly in the area of emotional abuse of children. What we're seeing is a high number of referrals from uh, the police um, who are now very responsive to the issue of uh, family violence. And uh, they're making referrals to child youth and family and we're doing a lot of uh, assessments and investigations of situations of family violence where there are concerns for children. So that's a really significant rise in the overall numbers. Paul Nixon says this puts more pressure on social workers as the cases they're dealing with are often highly complex. Typically these situations are characterised by uh, domestic violence, uh, often uh, parental mental health problems, uh, drug, uh, alcohol problems with parents. And when you get a combination of those things together, um, th those create very sort of uh, risky environments for children. So yes, the, the workload has, has gone up, and you'll see from the numbers that social workers are are very busy doing work, at making assessments, um, seeing children quickly and making sure uh, they're safe. And I think uh, social was doing an incredible job in getting out there quickly, seeing the children, assessing families and making sure arrangements are in place to, to secure their safety. The National Director of Family First, Bob McCoskery, describes New Zealand's level of child abuse as a national disgrace and says that deep-rooted causes aren't being tackled. Four reports have all came up, come out with the same conclusion, and that is that a child is hugely at risk where there is drug and alcohol use, where there is family breakdown and there's non-biological adults living in the house. Some of the reports have referred to mental illness, some of them have referred to poverty and stress, antenatal care. The Children's Commissioner report also um, mentioned the disproportionate rate of Maori child abuse. So if we go back to those issues, our, our concern is simply that we're not uh, hitting head on the issues of drug and alcohol abuse. We're tiptoeing around the issue of alcohol. We think that the government's proposals around alcohol are going to make no difference to violent people in houses where there's too much alcohol being consumed. And, and we know that children are hugely at risk when adults and parents are, are under the influence of alcohol. Drugs, we seem to have a mixed message there. We seem to have this tiptoe approach around some of the drugs like marijuana, etc. Um, P, I guess we were too slow. Uh, we, we're sort of trying to catch up to the use of P, and you know we know kids are in P houses, etc. Uh, poverty and stress. I mean, that's a tough one because some countries, like the UK and Britain, have actually seen a decrease in child abuse rates despite going through a period of a recession. But there's no doubt about it that when families are living in, in, in poverty, there is a stress, and that does put pressure on parents. Sally Christie from Jigsaw says responsibility for addressing child abuse needs to be shared by all the community. I absolutely want to acknowledge at the high, high end the work of child, youth and family police, teachers identifying that children are in trouble in their classrooms and having the 
um, skills and the systems within schools to identify those children and get them help. I acknowledge the NGO sector and all of those people. And at the end of the day, with any community, there's only so many of them. And then the rest of us, if we can engage with this. Like I live in Thames, when there's a flood, we rock. You know, we work together and we look after each other. Christchurch, um, there's a, you know, a massive um, disaster and there has been community spirit that has somehow changed their lives and their hearts and their souls. This is a national challenge and if we could sort of almost have that energy for each other, we can really, really make a difference and communities are embracing it and things are happening. A Tokoro woman, Rebecca Smith, wants to make a difference in her community. She plans to run the New York Marathon in November to raise money and awareness of her Cherish Our Children campaign. Her vision is for children in Tokoro to grow up healthy, safe and secure. Last weekend, she and supporters held a sausage sizzle at a rugby league game to spread the word, particularly among men. They play a strong um, part in a child's upbringing, um, and, yeah, so we're starting a campaign, actually, Extraordinary Dads, which is more of a positive role um, on it. And rather than looking at all the negative sides of things, it's trying to get our community to look at the positive side and, and to have kids promote or, you know, be able to say, I think my dad's awesome because of this or because of that, yeah. I, I think in all communities there is that that facade or that, you know, you've been brought up that way that the father is the person that works and the father is the one that, you know, goes to the pub on a Friday night and the mum does everything, the cooking, the cleaning and the raising the children. And, and people have, you know, different ways of, I guess, of uh, sourcing their love or showing their love. And, and I think dads, we need to promote more that it's okay, that you're not considered soft if you want to cuddle your children, if you want to spend time with them and if you want to play with them, yeah. The Brainwave Trust was set up to teach people about the importance of brain development in the first three years and how any abuse of a child can affect it for life. In 2006, the three-month-old twins Crew and Chris Kahui died after suffering traumatic head injuries. Their father, Chris Kahui, was tried for murder but acquitted in 2008. At the inquest into their deaths, paediatrician Carol Jenny had this to say about Crew's injuries. Tears in his actual cortex of his brain, and I, I can't imagine that a child with that severe an injury would have been able to do a, a complex motor event like taking a normal feed after that injury had occurred. Another paediatrician told the inquest that due to the severity of their injuries, it's likely both twins were slammed against something. The chief executive of the Brainwave Trust, Sue Wright, says at birth about 15% of brain cells are connected to pass on signals through other cells. But at the age of three, that figure is closer to 85%. Now what's happening during that time is our little brains and people are adapting and adjusting to the world they're growing up in. If they grow up in a world of uncertainty, um, of fragility, they're going to grow with brains that are hyper-alert, hyper-responsive and are functioning at a level of survival. If you bring a child up in a place of security and safety, then they're going to have a brain that's able to carry out different functions like learning and thinking and uh, emotional development. That is all part of the normal development of a brain in the early years. The Trust takes this message out to anyone who will listen, including prisoners. It's quite interesting. The main reaction we get is like, wow, 
So that's all happening in this little baby that's not doing anything other than feeding and eating and growing and hardly talking. And yet by the age of one, they've learned how to develop relationships. They've learned how to trust. They've learned how to respond to other human beings. So it's an incredibly important time at a very time where you don't always realise quite what's happening in that baby's development. One of the things that um, science has shown, and that's what we're presenting back, is that a child that grows up with neglect, a child that's left in a room to feed itself or is, an, is uncared for, has a different brain development pattern to one that's in a child that's in an abusive, violent home background. A child that's growing with neglect, their brain simply doesn't develop or connect as much as a child that's given a fertile, supportive, loving home. And so if you actually look at the brain, you see less brain connections, and actually the whole brain size in an extreme situation is smaller. The other type of situation is one of violence, and in that circumstances, the brain tends to function and the child develops behaviours that are what we call hypervigilant behaviours. They function more at the level of survival. And so a lot of the development of learning, thinking, relationship management, resilience, and cognitive learning, thinking, and the ability to learn new things doesn't occur as fast or as much. So they become very, very capable of coping in risky, high-danger times, but not as well made to cope in the schooling environment. Sarah Smith is 19. She had a child at 16 and now works as a volunteer at the Rukua Fina in Porirua. She says she has friends in abusive relationships who are likely to have their children taken away. Ms Smith says people need to take responsibility for what's happening around them. I think um, the closest people to... Uh, the victims and the people, you know, the abusers need to actually step up and say something, you know. They can't just sit back and let watch it happen and not do anything about it. It's, it's hard for an organisation to come in when they don't know the person. They don't know, they hardly, I mean, the people aren't really going to say a lot of what's happening. So it's hard for them to judge what's happening uh, clearly when their friends and family know exactly what's been going on. And I think that they should be the ones standing up and saying, hey, you know, go outside and have a rest, calm down, and then come back in and deal with it. You know? One person who recently decided to get involved and paid the price for doing so is Cherie Kurarangi Sweeney from Narawahia. She went public on child abuse after an infant living next door to her died of what police called non-accidental injuries. Uh, I got uh, victimised and uh, persecuted for knocking. <laughs> But you, instead of being scared and sort of put off, you've turned that around, haven't you? I have, um, with the help of support online and uh, family around me constantly. Um, I've turned it into the Nation of Advocates for the Rights of Kids. So what sort of flag did you get? Oh, there's just the graffiti, the um, intimidation. You know, having your um, house carved up with a knife isn't exactly something you see every day. It certainly makes you worry. And uh, have things got better? Oh, absolutely. Things have uh, been better since, actually. They kind of did me a favour. It motivated me more to get out there and do this. Now, the, the issue of child abuse has been around for a long time. We're hearing more about it. Do you think people are really changing their ways? I think people are changing their attitudes. They seem to have normalised abuse. You'd hear the expression from people like, oh, not another one. 
and that just sort of gave it the idea that um, people were normalising abuse. Instead of normalising abuse, they should be normalising speaking out. A lot of it's about speaking up, bringing awareness and putting it out there in the community just opens their eyes to it. But encouraging those people who see it to speak up, that's the best thing anyone could do for a child, really. And there's Simcock from Child Matters. This is appalling that any adult would even contemplate turning a blind eye to child abuse. She says the first thing people need to acknowledge is that all children have the right to grow up in a safe environment. As the people in, in the book we wrote, again, I'm referring to Hidden in Front of Us, um, basically said, if you're not part of the solution, you're, you're colluding. If you overlook it, you're colluding with the people who did it. If you're not prepared to challenge adults who are abusing children, then the children may have been looking to you for help and they just see you as another uh, collaborator in this abuse. So first of all, it does occur. It, there is... There is a responsibility of all of us to do what we can. And we say to people, do one thing. Um, you may not be a child therapist, and you may not be a specialist in this area, but help the people who are. Provide information, get that out there through your Facebook or your networks. Make sure that your children's school is a safe school. Learn about child abuse so that you do know how to act if you are concerned about a neighbour or a family member. Um, so just don't overlook it, find out what you can do and um, be prepared to, as somebody said, put a child's face ahead of your own. The Commissioner for Children, Russell Wills, says all is not doom and gloom, as much as being done to help families at an early stage. He cites the repeal of Section 59, the anti-smacking law, as a positive move in the right direction and says the way child, youth and family operates is continuing to improve. Dr Wills says the upcoming Green Paper will be a valuable tool. That's going to give us an opportunity to really have a look at how we invest in children and young people to make some tough decisions and make sure that the investment we do make in young people and in children we get our best bang for buck out of. Tahi Tate from Taropu Afina says the discussion prompted by the paper will be a catalyst for change. I think the Green Paper should look at um, broadening um, the types of interventions that uh, providers can deliver, you know, sort of things that are outside of the square. So we'll do like family camps, you know, we'll have parenting groups. Uh, we'll, um, we work closely with the courts and um, youth justice because they've got, they've got a bit of a stick. You know, we're the carrot and they've got the stick and sometimes you need all of that, you, know, you need all of that to work together. Um, so the Green Paper, if it could, um, you know, be targeted and prioritised, um, it's, you know, it would be a useful, very useful piece of legislation. Anthea Simcox says the resources and the will are out in the community to claw back the appalling statistics surrounding child abuse. However, she says more can be done and a change in attitudes is needed. There is still a belief in programmes that this programme will solve it. As somebody said, put, the, put someone through this sheep dip and this sheep dip and this sheep dip and they'll come out the other end. It's actually a lifelong thing. It's a community thing. It's, it's a whole society's got to change its attitude and say this is something that um, I need to do something about. And certainly that leadership can come from above. But it is a, a change, as I, as I said. I can remember being in Italy with my twins when they were 10 months old 
and the Italians would come up and pinch their cheeks and say what lovely babies are la bella bambini and and tell me what great babies I had and then they would tell me oh but their feet are cold because they didn't have shoes on in the middle of summer they thought it was their right to advise me as a young mother how to how to look after my children we don't have that right we don't tell people how well they're doing what beautiful babies they've got and we don't give them advice either so we need a a cultural change um, a societal change about about that I believe and about the fact that sticking your neck out and poking your nose into other people's business might actually be about caring and looking after other people. Bob McCoskery from Family First wants a commission of inquiry to deal with the whole area of child abuse. We'd like to see experts in the field from around the country come together and talk about all these issues, bring them together and come up with a clear strategy. Uh, it, it sort of seems to be a stop-start measure at the moment. I think we need a one-off, really serious commission of inquiry. And look, we had, we had what was it, 29 people die at Pike River and commission of inquiry. Uh, we had buildings collapse in Christchurch earthquake, commission of inquiry. And yet we have anywhere from eight to nine kids die every year. Where's the commission of inquiry? Paul Nixon from Child, Youth and Family believes improvements in the agency's assessment practices and wider engagement with families will help reduce the level of child abuse. Uh, I'd really like to see um, well-coordinated and well-supported plans of vulnerable children so that we can track outcomes for children and young people over time and not just respond to an immediate problem but make sure that plans and supports are sustained over time so children's lives really do uh, pick up and they achieve uh, the things they want to achieve in life. Determined to improve the quality of social work, I think Child, Youth and Family is in a really good place at the moment. It's improved hugely in terms of its performance. Um, it's got on top of the business and now is a real opportunity to push the quality of social work and push the quality and consistency around the country, so I'm very keen to do that. I would like to see us develop some of the real strengths we've got here in New Zealand. I think uh, family group conferences, engagement of family, whānau, community um, is good. We could go further with that, do even better, and there's some good schemes to support that. And I'd like to see us strengthen um, children's participation in New Zealand so children have a louder voice, we can hear their voices more clearly, we see them more clearly and they have a bigger impact uh, on the way we think about our services and the way we provide our services. Paul Nixon says people are more open about abuse now than in the past. I've been a social worker for more than 20 years and I remember sitting in um, the front room of a family who I was working with where the, uh, the child, who was about 10, the mother and the grandmother had all been sexually abused at different points in their lives. And the grandmother saying to me, you know, it's really good people are talking about ch child abuse now. It really helps. It helps uh, me to understand what happened to me and it helps me support my daughter and my granddaughter. So um, I think in the past it's been a taboo subject. I think it's really helpful to have a, an honest, uh, well-informed and thoughtful uh, debate about uh, child protection so we can improve things for children. The Green Paper will be followed by a period of public consultation before the release of a white paper the adoption of a children's action plan next year. That Radio New Zealand Insight was written and presented by Andrew McRae, produced by Erina O'Donoghue, technical production by Chris Adams.